Chris Black. <laughs> I feel like we just spoke a few days ago, or a few hours ago, actually. Not, not a few days. What's up, bro? How are you? Well, Jason, you know, luckily for us, we talk every day, whether it be um, for public consumption or just personal use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we're getting very close to CB touching down here in in California, Ooh. aren't we? Yeah, and you know who knew that is Gavin Nuisance, who just, you know, unlocked the third eye so I can once again safely <laughs> dine outside at Erwan. Yeah, just a couple hours ago, they announced everything you can... You can go get your hair haircut outside again, and you can go to restaurants outside again. You can't get your haircut inside? <laughs> no, barbershops inside and outside have been closed, and hair salons have been closed for since December. Damn. Like, my, my barber has been cutting my hair out of his garage. Damn, I might have to go see him because I like that illegal vibe. I'm trying to get like I know. you know I'm willing to die. You know I'm willing to die for a fade every two weeks. That's not that's not that ain't a game, baby. You're willing to catch a fade to catch a fade. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. I don't know if I don't know if the punishment for getting your hair cut um, in a garage in Burbank is uh, is punishment by death, but um, you know if you go on the wrong turf, perhaps you could you could catch some static. Well, I mean, no. I, this is a controversial move by by Gavin but i think that he's trying to um you know ensure re-election a lot of people are pissed a lot of people are pissed because he's opening up the restrictions again rent when things are are doing very poorly well he's saying that he's got data saying that uh mm-hmm. the data looks good that that like yeah the we're good like the morgues are full now but they're gonna clear out is what is what, is what basically i mean it's all insane they, well but once again, they you know I, I think 2021, and one of the trends that I'm going to forecast is is burning of garbage and other things. And I know that they've been burning bodies. Maybe once once they light them up, then uh, then we'll have some more room. I guess I don't know. We'll see. I mean, look, I don't think that the um, this podcast turned pretty dark, didn't it? Well, the problem is, is that people, of course, want to point fingers at their neighbors when the issue is idiots like this are making the decisions based on his need for reelection. Mm-hmm. You know, so everybody loses. But you know who? Does doesn't lose is, is me uh and, and you <laughs> breaking breaking sharing once again a 30 dollar uh shrimp cocktail at the sunset tower uh mm-hmm. behind a behind a ple- piece of plexiglass you know there's nothing more enjoyable mm-hmm. um yeah i think i mean some of this the the restrictions going into place do make a lot more sense like before we were not allowed to go to like sit outside on a sidewalk socially distance and eat food in in los angeles but i could hop on a on a plane and and go to tulum no problem that seemed pretty ass backwards to me and now i think they're they're going to set it to where travel to mexico is not going to be allowed you know unless it's like wait what yeah, I mean, I think Biden was doing that. I mean, Biden is setting some some travel. Tulum is canceled. <laughs> man, fuck this, bro. I'm out of here. I fam. mean, for, for people who are going there simply for pleasure or for fun or for sports, they're gonna they're gonna put the kibosh on that for a little bit. But then we why can else, sit on why, the sidewalk. Why and, else would you go to Tulum I mean, if you had you know a family emergency <laughs> or something? <laughs> Yeah, my family emergency is we have to go to Tulum. That's yeah. Well, we have to, Chris, we have to, the world we have to do yoga. We have to do yoga in Tulum, or something bad is going to happen. Well, I hate to break it to you, but some people are actually born and have families in Mexico. They don't just use it as a, a vacation destination. I know that may come as a shock. Wait, to you. what? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I didn't want to be the person to let you know this. <laughs> Damn, I hate when Jason's the first to tell. But it just, me it just makes it. so much more sense. Like Diplo doesn't need to go to Tulum. And, but like 
Don't if, if do we, not do not <laughs> do not come. No, use another example, please. Okay, Diplo doesn't need to go to Joshua Tree right now. No, I mean, but that, well, but like Diplo should be able to go to Joshua Tree with his four friends who all got vaccinated in 2018 <laughs> because they're <laughs> reptile overlords. They're all good money. That's fine, but like I've been told that some he... dumb bitch shouldn't be allowed to go to Tulum <laughs> because she wants to take some bomb ass pics because international travel is terrible well, for spreading a pandemic. I thought I thought that if you are a DJ, ketamine and heat will actually kill the virus. <laughs> Therefore, you don't need don't need the vaccine. Ketamine, is actually my... <laughs> ketamine and the heat of a dance floor should take care exactly. of exactly. <laughs> If I was if I was lost in a D- DJ Diplo essential mix for six hours while hitting the ket, I'm sure that my body would feel virus free. Yeah, bro. Like I read that the virus bro. can't. I read that the virus can't live at Tao Beach Club because of like the humidity, <laughs> like something about like the microclimate. Don't drag. Don't drag our mutual friend Decatur Dan into this. That's not. fair. I heard that okay? COVID nineteen can't live on the rooftop of the Dream Hotel. Like I. That's. <laughs> That was in Newsweek. That's just data. I mean, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Yeah, yeah. If you don't read Time, that's your fault. I guess you're getting your news. I guess you're getting your news from CNN or MSNBC or the failing New York Times. Must be must be nice. Luckily, I am immune to the haters, and that's what's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, that's the number one immunity I care about. But we both were talking earlier. Um, all joking aside, uh, both of our 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 parents are are getting the vaccine today or tomorrow in mm-hmm. the near future. As since my my mom is um actually in a essential worker and my dad is just old um so well i'm had to i'm glad to hear that big mama is getting her fauci ouch <laughs> <laughs> my mom my, my big mama is able to get the fauci ouchie and the thing about the fauci ouchie and the way it's distributed it's it's literally it's she's literally, gonna get stuck like a pig isn't she but it's fucking crazy that this this life-saving virus you get the shit in a kroger like it's crazy to me that you get it. Like your mom, you said she, your mom's going to like right, Disneyland. What's crazier, right? getting it, getting it in the Kroger, or my mom dead ass pulling up to motherfucking Disneyland <laughs> to get a vaccine <laughs> vaccination? Uh, yo, excuse me if you if you do have Mickey ears on, you can move to the front of the line. Just come right here to the left. It's it's fucking crazy. But we, I guess we that's are all- we are living in in a post apocalyptic world now. Like in high school, I would go to Disneyland. And have a time of my life scamming on chicks, fighting people from Fullerton, and blacking out on ecstasy in some ball pit. <laughs> I never, you know, if you told me that, like, oh, in you know, in in the year 2020, uh, Disneyland will be closed. It'll be taken over and turned into a government vaccination site because there'll be a worldwide pandemic where millions of people die worldwide. <laughs> you know, like, like I'll just kill myself by then. Like, what's what's even the point? But here we are. What is the? I mean, Jason. But what is the point? You know what I mean? Honestly, what is the point to all this stuff? It's fucking raining here. Um, I, I you know, I, I just don't. I mean, I ended up. I, I today, I told you, I was in the gym. I put on that new track, Whoopty by CJ, that everyone's loving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I told I told this to the group chat, but I literally as I was on Didn't the rings, we talk about on, we I forgot we talked about it like almost like a month ago. That was whoop-tee? that was like mid December yeah, yeah, when yeah. we were talking about yeah whoopty. Um, uh, you know, friend of the show, Mardi put me on in our end mm-hmm. of the year playlist. But this morning, you know, on my oh god, on my fifth set, I think of of um, fifth 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 set of uh of of ring dips today. Uh, Ooh. you know, whoopty whoopty comes on, and you know, I'm not a big club night guy. Obviously, uh, you know, I don't really party. Mm-hmm. But all I could think about, all I could see in my mind's third eye was TJ. Mm-hmm. In front of a massive room full of sweaty ravers, mm-hmm. and they just they just wanted to hear Whoopty, and you were blasting an American Spirit, just smashing that Q button over and over. No, and I mean Q C U E, not Q A N O N. 
Um, and you were, damn, you were just, damn, that's what you call a, a DJ, cons- an EDM conspiracy theorist <laughs> is C-U-E Anon. So, and I just, I saw, I saw Jason in the fucking club. He was sweating. I was sweating. He was playing the jam. He was smoking the cig. He was hitting the button. And I just, you know, I was able to complete the set. I was able to push through on this cursed day. Um, Uh, I was able to push through. You were able to visualize and see and accomplish your goals thanks to me and EDM, uh, and also none of, and also a song that has nothing to do with either of those two things. Luckily, luckily that song is not EDM, or I wouldn't have been listening to it. I for for a few minutes there, Jason, um, as I was sweating inside, uh, you know this this fitness emporium, masked and safely distanced, of course. I was thinking about, um, you know, I was just fantasizing about your former DJ career, and I wonder if that ever happens to you. Not lately, no. <laughs> <laughs> The answer, the answer, Chris. The short answer is no. It doesn't at all. Look, there's there's a lot of pros and cons to to one person's DJ career, and I'm sure we can get into that with our with our guest on today's. Well, episode. you know, well the the reason, yeah, the reason I moved into Whoopty is is because I was listening to some music that didn't really make sense for the gym before, but I was preparing for today's uh, episode. You were what were you listening to to prepare, Chris? Uh, um, it's a it's a little album from the year two thousand, uh, called uh, the the Swiss Army Romance, the debut studio album from our guest today, uh, Dashboard Confessional, aka Chris Caraba, Bo- the the pride of Boca Raton, um, <laughs> the the former the former singer of a little band called Further Seems Forever that a lot of you guys probably like. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, this, this, this album was released through Fiddler Records, uh, which I was there for the original release before corrupt, he wasn't there before corrupt drive through came and took it to the big leagues. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a landmark album, mm-hmm. um, that, that to me and, and Chris and, and Dashboard Confessional, which is his nom de plume, uh, his live, his live band. Um, I prefer the acoustic, just kind of raw versions, but sure, you know, sure, sure, sure. But I understand with touring, you need to pack a big punch. People are paying a high ticket price. I think Chris cracked the code on something that, that I want to get into him with, but I think that uh, for whatever reason, uh, men that were involved in hardcore and punk rock uh, did love sad music like The Cure and, and, and Morrissey, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, but I think I think Chris and his, his, his band were able to kind of uh, crack the code on, on making that work in, in a way that had never been done before. A, full, a crossover, I would say. Yeah, um, he was able to make sad music triumphant, I would say. Uh, yeah, and, and and you know if you watch the MTV Two Unplugged, you know the, just the crowd singing every word. You know it, it's it's mm. honestly I, I forgot he did an unplugged. It's very cool, and I, I've been at those shows and I've transcended with those folks. You know what I mean? But I think <laughs> I think that in some ways this the simple the simple you know man with a guitar mm-hmm. uh, is is more powerful than a band if you do it right. Sure, Dylan, Caraba, the list goes on. Exactly, we could do this all day. But I think that um, I, I think that it's just it was much it was very much a time and a place for me. And I think there were other bands, obviously, that made this. You know, there was there was a lot of bands that took the the emo quote unquote genre and signed to major labels. But something about Dashboard Confessional seemed a little special to me and a little different to me mm-hmm. um, uh, because it was like I said, it started as a guy with a guitar on a stage, you know, sandwiched between two shitty hardcore bands. Um, and <laughs> yeah. I think that that is, uh, you know, and he had, he had an iconic haircut, the pompadour with the, with the big sideburns. 
Um, he did. And I, I, I am looking forward to getting an update on his current haircut situation. I am too. We're going to, we're going to go through, we're going to, we got a lot to cover with our man, Chris. There's a lot to cover. There's a lot to chew on on this, uh, on this T-bone of an episode, isn't there, Chris? <laughs> this is a damn, this is a damn T-bone, Jason. I think that the chef recommends it for two. <laughs> well, honestly, honestly, it took getting dashboard confessional on this motherfucking podcast for you to be firing from all cylinders. I think some this is some of your best, <laughs> not to quote a word from David Cho, your best oration going on right now. My man Look, is man. orating on a transcendent <laughs> level, and I hope to uh, to see that continue through the rest of this hour. Look, we we got to, we got to talk about Diplo, Tulum, Gavin Newsom, and I've had a coffee. I mean, what more? What more could we do? You know what I mean? What more could we to do? quote T Pain? I'm sprung. <laughs> Let's go. All right, so we're gonna bang. We're gonna bang Chris's line, and um, you guys enjoy this one. We're very excited. Are you currently in the studio? Well, the studio's in my house. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I just, it looked, I see the trappings of a studio in, in your background there. Yeah, um, gave, what gave it away? You know, you know what kind of what kind of <laughs> setup you got? You got a full setup, like yeah. What honestly, what did give it away, Chris? Is it's just a, a a mirrored wall? I don't know. I just I, maybe I just felt it in my bones. <laughs> yeah, we could just hear from the acoustics on this FaceTime call that you have some nice treated wood behind you. Yeah, there's. <laughs> 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 that's the dead giveaway yeah speaking of dead it's a dead room if you give me a clap right now oh baby it'd probably have zero oh, reverberation time. no there's nothing it's just so chris, chris where is the studio what part of the world are you in i live in uh just outside of nashville oh, oh shit really? we were we were we were just there i wish i would have known we could have we could have done this you know outside in the back of some pickup trucks uh <laughs> What uh? What drew you to Nashville? The biz, or just the weather? Or are you just are you like the honky tonk lifestyle? Um, all the all the above. <laughs> I uh, we it seems, were. It we seems were the, like a place to live when you're a, a singer songwriter nowadays, right? You know, it is. But um, you know, of course, is the country scene, which is it's starting to boom here. I think it's going to take off in this area. <laughs> <I think it's, laughs> um, are you are you learning to love the country music twang a little bit more than you did when you were younger? Yeah, uh, but not not like not because I moved here. I think I kind of came to, I discovered artists like you know John John Prine and Doug Moore into like Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, the the country music that I'd been exposed to was just whatever was on the radio in the early two thousands or whatever, and so that wasn't quite that was not it, Chief. <laughs> that was that not was, it, Chief. That was not it. Um, <laughs> not for me anyway. However, there's a huge like underground scene here and counterculture scene so there's like all kinds of post hardcore post-punk bands punk bands emo bands there's mm-hmm. a hip-hop thriving hip-hop community there's even like a thing called the other nashville society which is a um, pretty elaborate uh, community for non-country acts <laughs> you so, guys i love that not you guys get lumped in as non-country acts all of us only together. in nashville only in nashville Some recovering yep. non-country artists yep <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, I think that our generation, I think we're all probably similar age, age-wise, but I think our generation, country radio was what was sold to us. And when you dig a little deeper, there's really some great stuff there. I think there's some incredible songwriting that's just like timeless and it doesn't really, it doesn't really, it doesn't have to stay in its lane. You know, yeah. some people that listen to Dylan can fully get on board with Towns Van Zandt, for example. And oh, there's, for sure. There's, I think there's like incredible examples of that now. Like I think Casey Musgraves is an incredible example of like, oh yeah, it, baby. It, it's it's she's country, yes, but it doesn't make any kind of difference what what genre other people say she's in for me. Lumped in, 
Yeah, I yeah. agree. We actually, Jason and I both, uh, we went and saw Casey Musgraves in L.A. It was a great show. She did a new song with uh, Troy Sivan, actually, that is not country at all. That's very good. Yeah, um, it's pretty wild. I, yeah, a few songs I, I, on her album are just straight up disco, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I and would, she's I would hot. But, but that's just one example. She is beautiful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that that helps it, no matter what the genre is for any artist, I think. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we love the music business. But um, I love living here, I've got to say. Like, I really love the community and the... the um, How's the Whole Foods, though? The Whole Foods is on point. Yeah. <laughs> We got a pr- we got a pretty we got a sick Trader Joe's in town. <laughs> so it's got every it's got everything it's got everything you need. But I mean, I I um, happy to hear you've got options. I remember when I was I was touring in in Twin Forks, my one of my other side projects, and my we had a drummer for one tour that was helping us out, and he would he lived in a really expensive city at home back home I think in Seattle, so he was like always like mining his his last penny, mm-hmm. and he was always kind of. Saying, oh, that's too pricey, that's too pricey, whatever it was. Except for Whole Foods. He only shopped at Whole Foods, so we called him a Whole Foods, Whole Foods billionaire. <laughs> that's actually, that's what I'm going to start calling Jason. Yeah, you kind of are a- describing my life. That's the only thing I really spend my money on is overpriced food. Mm-hmm. I respect it. My, my clothes are threadbare and I'm living in my car, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> but my sprouted <laughs> almonds cost more than your fucking hat, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't uh, I'm not a big Trader Joe's guy. Whole Foods makes me feel good. Trader Joe's just it doesn't. I don't like the feeling inside there. Even though it offers good good product, I just don't like the way it makes me feel. Don't hate, bro. Don't hate. He has an <laughs> he has an aversion to discounts. He he likes to buy everything at full <laughs> yeah, price. That's true. Yeah, I don't like discounts. It's true. I don't like discounts. It makes it. But I, I you know you're from Florida, so I thought I thought you might be a Publix loyalist, Chris. I'm I'm a fan of Publix. I'm going to be straight with you guys. I'll go to Publix before I go to Whole Foods. I don't know what that says about me to you. Wow! But to wow, me, wow! 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 That's that's home team. You know what it says to me about you is you've got a little something called integrity. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm not talking. To, I'm not talking about Dwid either. I'm talking about some, no Dwid. It's, it's pumping yeah. in your blood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, South. I grew up in Atlanta. I'm actually in Atlanta right now, so I'm. I've spent a lot of time in Florida. Um, you know, not not so much South Florida as much as the the Panhandle because that's much closer to us. But sure. what do you think? What do you think's in the water down there? Why 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 is hardcore and punk specifically? Th- why does it thrive in Florida maybe more than some other places? And T Pain and T Pain. Well, I think the punk and hardcore scene in many places is born is a reactionary thing, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, especially in like, like I said, in South Florida, you've got like um, an area that is like filled with immense wealth. And then like this disparity between like the haves and the haves and have nots. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like Beverly Hills ish kind of almost thing. Like where, yeah. you, you know, like you either, you know, like either were part of the yacht club or you worked at the yacht club <laughs> and I, I was the latter. So I'll say like to combine those two things with the fact that like we were, you know, you said, oh, I only really get to the panhandle. The thing is with South Florida, it's like so far south. You get to Atlanta, you get to Georgia, you know, you're going to veer instead of going down south even further to go, what, 12 hours to play? Yeah, it's brutal. To play a show. So we had to, we had this lack of, uh, we were really isolated. We weren't getting shows. I mean, I still think we get fewer shows there. I don't live there anymore. I still say, I say like I do. Um, I feel <laughs> your secret's but- Your secret's safe with us. Okay, it's fine. But we still get fewer shows than, you know, most other places go, uh, get, get. And um, I understand the economics of that from a band's point of view. It's really tough to yeah. get that, you know, to, you know, burn all that gas money just to play to 50 people, you know, down in South, you know, 12 hours away. Or you could go three mm-hmm. hours and play to 50 people. Makes better sense. 
So we had to make our own scene. And so there was this really dedicated spirit of cooperation. Let me, let me give you an ex- a few examples. Like you would have a friend would book the show. So you'd, you'd do all the flyering and then you, one of your other mm. friends would work the door and, and then all, everybody came to every show. It didn't matter what genre it was within this counterculture stuff, within the punk or mm-hmm. hardcore, or even ska bands, indie bands, whatever <laughs> it was, you know, like whatever, whatever it took. We were going to all the shows and sometimes you'd see, it wouldn't be weird at all to see all those bands, mm-hmm. all those genres on, on one bill because we were just, you know, trying to stack the deck and make sure we were giving everybody their chance to make it. And then the other thing was everybody was in everybody else's bands because there weren't enough musicians for every band to have all the musicians they needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you, so you, by default, you like ska now, I guess. That's rough. I don't know that I was ever in a ska band but I, there's there's look i i was in like hardcore bands i was in post-punk bands i was in pop punk bands i was in math rock bands so you know when you forgot about math rock i forgot about never, math rock as well never forget, <laughs> never forget. <laughs> i'm sure you can't but i mean i think that's interesting though because in the intro and but you know i i saw you play plenty of times in atlanta in those early days and i think it was um I think it's interesting that you would always be sandwiched. I mean, sometimes you'd be sandwiched between pretty serious, like hardcore bands. You know what I mean? Oh, um, yeah. And, and it seemed it seemed kind of normal, but also something I hadn't really witnessed before. And I, I, I don't. I, it feels like in some ways you might have been the first to get that like full acceptance. To the degree I got acceptance, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think so. I think so. Um, certainly from the. I think it was bands first and fans second in terms of crossing to that you know, playing to that scene, which is the only scene I played to because, you know, those were the bands I was in before Dashboard, that style of music. So those were my friends. Those are the only ones I, I knew to, to reach out play for. Like, with. how do I yeah, get a yeah. show or can I play with you? Or who books, a, where, you know, do you have a number for a place that I can book a show in this state or town or city? But I would say that, like, um, it never occurred to me to go play like a coffee shop. Like, you know, if you get an acoustic guitar, I guess that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Yeah, but I, mean. <laughs> I I never went. I never saw anybody play at a coffee shop. Yeah, so I didn't know that that was a thing. I never went to a coffee shop to see music or or anything like that. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that coffee shops by me had music. Maybe it was happening in other places. But I just like simply sim- simply like twofold. Like I I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah, I'm not sure that I would have chased that anyway because I I had my camaraderie with the people from where I'd come from. And the other thing was like, if I was going to play a show, like part of it is like, which bands do I want to watch mm. after yeah, I've played, sure, sure, or, sure, you know, sure. that I'm, that'll let me open for them. And that was usually, my taste was usually for heavier bands. It still is. Mm. Uh, oh, see, I was going to, I was going to ask you that. Cause I, I can't listen to heavy music really. Like I have a really tough time. I just feel like I did it for so long. And now I only want to hear mostly like, female singers is really my is really my zone so as but, you can probably you know deduce from just like hearing dashboard i've liked both things forever i've liked sure, sure. you know just a, a stripped down very threadbare kind of presentation of music and i've liked really heavy things and then you've also liked the band threadbare i also yeah, <laughs> conveniently <laughs> let me set you up but but the i mean because further how old were you in further seems forever what age are we talking about I don't know, um, early 20s? It was like 20. Okay, okay. And this 21. is when, because, you know, his, the, the, the famous story about this, too, is that you were a teacher at the time, correct? So I was a... Taught me how to feel. I was a, <laughs> I was a, I was a teacher's aide at that point, maybe. 
it's just all very responsible feeling. That's that's what I'm trying to get to is that like you having like a real job felt mm-hmm. that that like that that history feels very mature for me at the time because I'm a little younger than you. So like I was in high school, maybe. So hearing that is like really blew my mind. Like, wait a second. It was a crazy story. Yeah. Like it didn't. It, everybody I knew worked at a burrito restaurant. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I remember <laughs> I remember at the time, like we didn't grow up with money or anything like that. So like. It was one thing to like chase your dream with your music. It was another thing to like be like, I'm not going to get a, a job. Like that's not allowed. Mm, mm. Sure, like, sure, sure. The way, the way yeah, I was brought yeah. up. Yeah. So like I knew that I could chase music if I had this job working at, an, uh, at a school because you get, comparatively speaking, like a lot of off time. So you get a whole summer off. You get spring break. You get fall break. I, this all appealed to me thinking like, well, I could just strategically book all this touring, I never thought I'd be touring at the level I, I ever got to or anywhere near there. So I just thought this would be like a way for me to stay committed to my passion and have a job that had insurance. And uh, yeah, it's actually the perfect job. And yeah, but also, you know, you thinking of, I, you know, to have a job with insurance, having that presence of mind or responsibility is not something that was too common in the scenes yeah. that we grew up in. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to say is that you yeah, it's more it's more a testament to your uh, you know, forward thinkingness and responsibility that I don't think a lot of people I knew at the time possessed. You know what I mean? That that's more Yeah, what it for is. us it's, it was just like, all right, how can I get as many awful tats and blowjobs <laughs> as possible? There was no consideration of touring routes, insurance, or, you know, 401ks or planning for your future whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We weren't we weren't there yet, bro. I'm saying you're you're advanced and maybe that was part of your success. Reason for maybe. your success. Maybe. You know. Did that at a, at a certain point, I imagine it just became too much and the decision was easy to make doing both? Wasn't really easy to make. It wasn't really easy to make. To, you're saying <laughs> really? like to do both jobs? No, to leave, to, to stop teaching and go play music. Was it, yeah. did you feel like you were cutting the cord or was it an easy decision to make? So I was working at the school before I did my student teaching. Okay. And I was just about to do my student teaching when basically when Dashboard was, was taken off to the point where I realized it could be a full, I mean, it could be my only job. Maybe I was headlining at that point. Yeah, I was headlining at that point, and I still had that that job. And it was my vice principal who said, uh, "You got to go do this." And I was like, "Yeah, but I can't like give give up my job." And she's like, "You got you've got to like." She was like, "You're an idiot. Like, go go do this." But I was like trying to get out of here, you, know, you beautiful fucking idiot. I was trying to st- <laughs> I was trying to stay the course. <laughs> I was trying to stay the course with like the the kind of safety net I, I built. And mm-hmm. she said. This is an incredible thing she said to me. She said, look, I'll guarantee you your job here for one year. And I mm-hmm. hope I don't see you back here. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. that's encouraging. When you're though, done with your headlining tour, I promise you'll be able to come back here and make $27,000 a year, bro. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure we would love to have you back. But was it becoming like an it? Like, did other teachers like understand what was going on and get it? Or did they think it was like a pipe dream? So I was pretty young compared to the other people yeah, that yeah. worked there. And I wasn't a teacher yet. So okay, okay. I think they thought of me as like a Grom anyway, you know, Gromit. Um, sure, yes, yes, yes. You don't have to explain Grom so, to us. Like I worked, Trust me, uh, you know, we've been called that before. That, that's no secret here. I worked at the – so I was a preschool teacher. When I say I was a teacher, most people just take that to mean I was like an elementary school. I was a, a teacher in a preschool, which is like a different amount of credit hours. And then yeah. I worked at that same elementary – So ele- actual Groms. <laughs> actual Groms. And so then I worked at the element, same elementary school – for the rest of the day doing teacher's aid and after school stuff. So I don't think the other teachers thought of me as much of anything other than like 
there's a there's a guy who's going to be appear to us one day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The the faculty wasn't going to crumble if you if you left for the summer. I don't think the no, I don't think the, the ceiling was going to fall. <laughs> there were no danger of that in any way. But they were. But I had a lot of friends there that I became lifelong friends, and um, it's interesting too because uh, a lot of them, you know, they've been tertiarily like a part of my career as I've gone from from playing in these like super tiny basement shows where they were there, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and to playing, you know, huge amphitheaters or whatever. And there they are in every picture, you know, they're all the way through. So it's kind of nice time way to mark the timeline with my, with these people I respect and look up to. Hopefully you hooked them up with the backstage pass at least. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess <laughs> it was after show. It wasn't a backstage. It was after show. Of, co- of course, after show. <laughs> <laughs> they, paid full, they, pay, they have to pay full retail for the ticket, but he will bless them with an after show pass once they arrive. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a fair, I think that's kind of a fair deal. Of course, deal, I'll really. handle your parking. You know, I'll get you the pass. It's all good. Uh, you said you wanted to quote unquote support me, so you're going to have to buy the ticket full price. I mean, I can't. I don't <laughs> never, know uh, never, never. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but I mean, the rise the rise was was fairly quick, and I think the touring, you, you really toured like in an extreme way, because I feel like bands now, don't fully understand this that like you really had to tour like nine months of the year to have a career it's just it's changed so much um and i feel like you spent a lot of time in a van more than some of these young bucks realize i spent years i spent three if i don't include further i spent or any of the other bands i was in before dashboard i spent three years 10 months of the year without exception being on the road Mm. so i was only home maybe like a week here, a week there, if even that. And I was always home like the week of Christmas through the second week of January. I remember that. Where were you live? Were you in South Florida still at the time? Yeah, I was kind of couch hopping or even living in my van in the beginning of it. And then, um, mm. and then my, like my friends all got, maybe got their first real job and got their own place and I could s- sleep on their couch eventually. Yes, yes, yes. We love when the friends graduate too. I think that I think touring is is both uh, the worst thing and the best thing in the world. Not that I've ever done it extremely, but you know, I, I manage a band, and so I would go sometimes on the bus. I never went in the van, of course. Um, <clears throat> but I think that <laughs> I, I would love to talk about that the the first time you went from van to bus because I feel like this is like a this is a virginity losing level kind of thing for a for a musician. I had a lot of trepidation about that, to be honest with you, because it costs so much money. Well, because it costs money, and it also felt like, am I going to lose the connection with my bandmates? Because you spend like all this time, like John in the van, yeah, mm-hmm. and and I mean hours and hours and hours and hours, like you know, every single day, and you have nothing but each other to talk to. There's no like TV, there's no front lounge, there's no bathroom, there's nothing. You know, we had a TV. Well, I love, in there, I love when you, I love when you say front lounge. You're really bringing me back when you use the term. And there's and there's also no no Instagram, no anything. No, you had. Your CDs. Mm-hmm. You listened Damn. to CDs. You read a book. You had your like a DVD player. If you're lucky, or a VCR in the in the van, mm. you know, in the little TV that you. So so your manager, your your managers and, and your agents are like, yo, it's time. We got it. Like the accounting works out, but you're still like, I don't, I don't. I feel like this could fuck things up. That and that. I also felt like there was a. You know, I was always really cognizant of. Um, you can't go back. Yeah. And I really loved who I'd come up with both in my band, you know, that got me to being in that band and in my band, but also the audience I played to and with. And I was really very nervous that that would like somehow radically change it. And I don't know that it radically changed it, 
but it it did change it. You saw yeah, Almost yeah. Famous, I'm sure. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> you know the vibe. But I mean, the the difference is if there if you you know if you did you have a master lounge John John Mayer style? Did you have the full master bedroom, or were you a guy that made that a a gathering area and just slept in a bunk like the rest of the guys? Oh, of course, I slept in a bunk. I sleep in a bunk uh, now. Well, not Do now. You really? Not right. No, like not, not at home. Mm-hmm. Not right now. Now, but, well, now I, I assumed you were taking private planes between shows, you know, Rolling Stone style. But I'm sorry to hear that. <coughs> well, I mean, not every show. <laughs> <laughs> only, only Europe. They're a little closer together, you know. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think that rock because the the this this like when things really start going, this is MTV TRL era. That that was a big part of your kind of that that helped you a lot. Yeah, absolutely did. But probably more than that was Napster. Mm. Oh shit. Like, because basically everybody's down your shit for free. And something Jason and I talked about too before the show, and, and like I said, I've seen you before, and like I was watching the unplug before we did this. But the the amount of singing along is truly like Beatles style deafening. And for, <laughs> for people to learn those lyrics, they were getting it on Napster, is what you're saying. And they would show up, they would pay oh, yeah. to come to the show and they know every fucking word. Yeah, so that's like and and for a long time I was and I still am, like I have no qualms with that. But I mm-hmm. I I was really, really grateful for it because I didn't have any distribution. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't on when I started, I was, you know, on a really, really small label, Fiddler Records. And then that record was bought by Drive Through and they had some distribution, but then they shelved it when I didn't sign with them. And what? then mm-hmm. Fuck Drive Through. No, 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 they're cool. They're cool. <laughs> I think it was just they're cool. I think <laughs> Maybe that was too hard a term to put it on there, but like they didn't, they didn't, you know, they weren't like repressing tons of copies because I wasn't their band anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, of course. Um, no, no, that makes sense. That was did a harsh, up, did harsh way leave, to say did that. You, did you leave Drive Through for Vagrant or did you go to a major? Well, I never signed to Drive Through. They just bought that record and they, oh. and they, and, um, you know, we were in talks to. But then you had to, then, then, they, then somebody dropped the bag on you, you had to go. You couldn't, you couldn't do it. I understand. So they were, I was interested in drive through and some other labels. Um, and of course, I was heavily interested in drive through because they were doing a good job with the Swiss Army romance. And, but then I got to know the people at Vagrant. And, yeah. and we were all, like all the bands were all my f- friends, as were some of the drive through bands for sure, like Newfound. There was a like-mindedness there that I had with sure. a lot of the people at the, the, the label that I felt was unique. And so that was really the, the deciding factor for me. So, uh, yeah, but Napster, before, before that, and even when I was on Vagrant in the beginning, um, after Places came out, they like, had a problem with their distributor, distributor where they, they had some kind of legal battle with their distributor. I'm not sure that... Uh, <clears throat> it left you like in purgatory, basically. Like, people couldn't buy your record if they wanted to. Couldn't find it anywhere. So I was happy that there was Napster. Damn, when you go to when you go to Tower Records on on fucking Monday at midnight and they ain't got the new dashboard confessional, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you gonna do? You got to go to Napster. That's it. So Napster, so Napster definitely helped your career then, without question, because yeah. you're gonna make a lot more money on on tickets for a concert than. Yeah, I don't know if I thought of it that way, but it was more like it gave me an opportunity to to be a real band. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, you, yeah, if yeah, people, yeah. It's like I think you're only like a real band. When people care about your songs, once people care about your songs, you're, it's rarefied air. So what do you mean exactly by care about your songs? I think everybody that would tune into this podcast knows what I mean. You know, like where it's like, it's more like, it's not like a, it's not like a passive thing where like, oh, this tune is cool. Mm. You know, I'll turn up the radio yeah, yeah, when it yeah. comes on. It's like, you really just, you, there's something, there's some kind of connection. 
I know you guys know what I'm talking about. No, I, totally I do. I do. Gods. I just want to hear it in your words because you're a damn poet. For for lack of a better way to, to phrase it, there's just like you have a relationship with the music as a listener. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's it's 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 quite different than just, you know, having music piped into the car from your, your radio. It's active listening versus passive listening is maybe, yeah. uh, you know, an easy way to describe it. I think right. that I think that. Also, that's a, a little bit of a generational shift, too. And this is something we talk about all the time is this the algorithmic kind of like playlist, you know, lo-fi beats to study to world we live in now. Um, yep. there, there's a lot of passive listening going on. I would say it's encouraged over active listening. Um, whereas I think during this time period, there, there wasn't much of a choice, you know. Though I agree with you. Like the whole whole world probably, I can't think of anybody that doesn't have that feeling I described with like Phoebe Bridgers. Mm, so right. there are yeah, there yeah. are artists coming out left and right that are I would call quote unquote important, mm-hmm. and I, by that I mean like people need them. Once they hear it, they need it. Mm. No, totally, totally. I would say that about Phoebe for myself. Me too. Have you played with her before? No, I would sure love to. I think the other thing that's that's so interesting to us specifically is coming from you know I think that on the outside hardcore scene is this kind of macho you know uh, boys club moshing kind of thing which it is in, in many ways but I think that what always struck me about you what you're able to do is like you would get, you would capture that audience and I think something people don't realize maybe also is that for some reason these same macho bros are listening to the cure and the smiths and things that are um, much more emotional so i feel like you kind of in some way bridged that gap and and made it palatable in a in a big way um i don't know if you feel i don't know if you feel like that but that's kind of how i see it i think so i mean that wasn't you know none of this was by design but i think in retrospect i agree with you that that's what I would, I would say that's what my opinion of the whole thing was, or my view of the whole thing was. But I think you really nailed it on the head. Like, I don't know any, I really don't know anybody that listens to hardcore that doesn't also listen to The Cure, or The Smiths, or both. I don't, I just, I want to get to the bottom of it. Like, I, wa- I want to know why that because was such I think, pr- pr- Like, we're all like, we, we like care deeply. Mm. Mm. You know, like we feel deeply. Yeah. Like those, those hardcore kids, as macho as some of them might be, although I, I would maintain that in our scene, it wasn't terribly macho like it wasn't overly macho in the hardcore scene in, in south florida some of it was but generally speaking they also well unfortunately like, unfortunately jason's from orange county so he cannot relate that's right both <laughs> of you guys are fucking pussies but you know not it wasn't exactly the you know war zone and crow mags at cbgb's vibe well no it's also not boston which to me boston was always the most the most violent yeah boston was rough scene <laughs> but I do think that I think you're right. I think feeling deeply is the through line there. But I always found it. I think that because when you try to explain hardcore and punk uh, to a, a girlfriend or, or someone someone that has no no understanding of it whatsoever, it really doesn't. If you play them like a Converge record and then you play them a Cure song, you know, and you're like, I listened to both of these things when I was mm-hmm. 14 and re- really mad for no reason. It's really tough to compute. <laughs> like it's it's hard to find the through line there. Yet, yeah, yet, yet it makes perfect sense to me if you told me it's that. Re- it's really hard to compute, <laughs> but I, I think that you were able to, and I think that that's, I mean, but I think then it, if it crosses over and we're talking about this unplugged era, because did they bring, I want to talk about that because I we all grew up with that, but did they bring unplugged back to MTV2 and you were one of the first people to do that or how did that come about? Well, I get, I'm going to tell you some of the story, but uh, Alex Coletti is the creator of Unplugged and producer of Unplugged. Okay. And he came, he, Unplugged was off the air. It was, they, they, they had made a new one in 
couple few, maybe five years, maybe more. And he came to one of my shows. I didn't know him. We had a common friend. And he came backstage and um, told me who he was and what he did and, and that what he saw that night was what he'd always hoped to see at MTV Unplugged. And I was, I was beyond flattered. About a month later, he reached out to me. He goes, I think I could bring Unplugged back for you. I want this bad enough to do it. So um, would that be a th- something you'd want to do? <laughs> Are you kidding? And so, so um, and we were the first, maybe we were the only one, I don't know. But I know we were the first non-platinum band to ever do an Unplugged. Oh, wow. Shit, that's a crazy so, fact. So I he never really, thought about that. Well, I mean, it just shows the belief. I only say that to show the belief he had yeah. In, yeah. in what he'd seen and what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And just sometimes it takes, it takes more than one, but it takes somebody, you know, it takes some champions in your corner. Some, some, that's a mixed metaphor. Mm-hmm. It ta- but it does, it does <laughs> take, it takes some people to champion what you're doing. And, and, and without them, almost nobody would get where they're trying to go. A couple big dogs in your corner can take you a far away. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, I mean, those clips, though, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting to watch those now. I mean, I just think that the, the, Going from from a community that you recognize to going to a community that's a much wider, you know, you look at that audience and it's basically like you could go to any mall in America and pull those kids out and they know every words to your song, you know, all the words to your songs. So I think that that is, did that feel very different to you or is that what shows had become? What I was most pleased with was that, so those new kids, like you just described, mm-hmm. were coming to the shows now, but the hardcore kids that championed were once again used that they were the first champions you know mm-hmm. for yeah, my yeah. for what i was doing largely they didn't leave just because these new kids showed up and they also didn't make them feel unwelcome so mm-hmm. all that is like the perfect storm because that doesn't really happen usually like when a a punk band i use the term you know loosely to not defining my music but the ethos you know mm-hmm. when a sure. punk band goes gets bigger than where they were when you discovered them you kind of detach sometimes mm-hmm. or you get angry or you don't like their new fans. And that just to, to a large degree didn't really happen with us. They, they, there was this feeling like among the original crowd that we did this. And then the next, yeah. the next group that they invited in for the next, you know, for the next round, they, they felt that they did it. And it was a real community spirit, like this communal effort. That is very rare. But I was always pleased. That is very rare. I was always pleased that they never, like the heart, the original audience never like scoff, largely didn't scoff at these people who weren't like them and, and they would have probably considered not cool, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been to concerts like that where it's like a really powerful, personal, you know, lyrical artist like yourself. And you look around at everybody and you're like, yeah, this is an awesome collection of random people. That I would probably never, you know, hang out with, but we have this thing in common that is so strong and powerful in us that it's just like your family. I don't care if all you people look like dorks to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that, I think that was the case. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it's, re- it's real. It's real. No, it is, and I think that's like something that 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 is very exclusive to music for sure. Um, but I I also think that the term, you know, the thought of selling out and stuff is so over now that it's it's uh it's it's nice to see that you kind of bypass that in some ways. I was really concerned about the sellout thing though too. That was another reason I wasn't so super psyched on a bus. Yeah. Um, I just didn't want to be. I didn't want to risk selling out. It wasn't that I wasn't that I. Th- was afraid people would call me a sellout. I knew that they would. Every the event, you <laughs> I had can't, no doubt in the American public <laughs> to call me a sellout. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it happens to everybody if they get just beyond the the circle that you know you first encountered them at. You know, it's just that's how it goes. 
or went. I don't know how it goes anymore. Yeah, when you're able to buy a, a new laptop without like really thinking about it for a long time, you're <laughs> you're a sellout. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When you have the when your when your MacBook is too new, it's over for you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so like that when I was thinking about getting a when they were like you know we got to get a bus it just makes sense on X for X Y and Z reasons and and I was like yeah but the last the last thing for me to come to grips with is like yeah but people will have feelings about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that happens anymore. No. 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 I I don't think. I mean, I, I, in, in good and bad ways, I think younger people today don't give a shit about anything or they give a shit about the wrong things too much. I think that's kind of when it mm-hmm. comes to this, st- when it comes to this stuff, I, I mean, even just talking recently about, you know, what matters, it's truly all anybody wants to talk about is streaming and Spotify playlists. And, you know, that is, that is what people care about. There's no discussion of, of ethos or, or, uh, selling out or not selling out. That's just not, I think that, that that everything is just too, maybe too globalized. Yeah. You know, I think, and that's, you know, I think we, I'm sure you were, you know, mail ordering records and like having, you know, correspondence with people via the mail and these things that took just a lot of effort that just, that, that is extinct. We don't have to do that anymore. Um, yeah. I used an Atlas to, to, on my, you know, first touring stuff. I, I had to use an Atlas, <laughs> not even MapQuest because I didn't have a computer. So I didn't own a computer, so I couldn't use that MapQuest. <laughs> Shit, that's fucked up. <laughs> pre map pre map quest is a fucked. Well, up it was thing probably it was probably during map quest. I just didn't have a computer. You just didn't have access to the quest. Actually, Shit, I could have gone to the. Well, you also need to have something. a printer. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure when you got the T Mobile Sidekick too, it touring changed completely. I never had that. What? Mm. No, man, I had I stuck with the razor. <laughs> I'm shocked that you didn't have. I'm I'm disappointed and outraged that you didn't have a sidekick too. I took it as a um, point of personal pride myself. <laughs> well, so you so you're a staunch razor man, is what you're saying. I was a razor man. <laughs> <laughs> razor man. Well, walk me through your color your colorway on that razor. So classic silver. Okay, classic silver. We didn't go custom. I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't go Paris Hilton pink. That would have been upset. You could have done pink. Uh, you know. I could have, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, I'm curious. And, that, and that's why you're here talking to us today. That, yeah, that's, that's why you made it all the way through. We we also. You know, on this we had we had Walter uh, from Grill Biscuits and Youths today and Quicksand on the podcast, and he told us this great story about turning down two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a KFC commercial uh, to license <laughs> his song um, because he was vegan. Not vegan, not vegan. Yeah, he said he just wasn't vegan. So I, we 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 love to get into the nitty gritty of sinks, and I know you did. Didn't you do a Spider Man? Did you do a Spider Man soundtrack? And we're not talking about Kohler. Yeah. Oh, we- <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> that's a little that's a little homeowner humor for you there, Chris. Mm-hmm. I got it. Um, so yeah, Spider Man Two, the Tobey Maguire one. I did. Uh, I had the song for um, that was the single for Spider Man Two and was in the movie, and it really was an amazing experience. And I got to, among other things, you know, there was a career boost that was huge, and there was this, yeah. uh, and I really am proud of the song as well. But also, I got to. Um, that's when I started to get to know the people at Marvel. And I still have a, a long-standing relationship with all those folks. And just, I'm just, I grew up like a comic book reader big time. That I still have an ongoing relationship with Personal, them. this hit personal notes for you as well then. Oh, absolutely. You, you would have done a song for Spider-Man 2 unpaid, most likely. 100% would have. Love that. Did you, did you write the song for the movie or was it a song that existed? It was neither. So, or maybe it was a bit of, 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 of writing it for the movie. I'm not sure. I had a song. I gave it to the, the t- when they asked for it, when Leo Volek, who is um, 
badass executive at, at Sony Pictures was a, I don't think she's there any longer. Uh, she, much like Alex Coletti, was like a champion of what I was doing. And she was a punk rocker. She had been in the front of house for Richard Hell. Whoa. She, was the, Whoa. she, she, she used to mix uh, Richard Hell. And That's she was cool. like this, this young executive superstar. And she was really in tune with the counterculture stuff that was happening at that moment, including my band. And she asked if I wanted to contribute a song for the soundtrack. And I gave, I said, of course, yes. I gave her a song. And then she allowed me, she was like, do you want to see the movie? It was like not even finished filming, but she was, they were doing screenings of, of the work in progress. And I, I got to go to the Sony lot and watch the movie. And it was mm. just an incredible experience. And I remember leaving there with a, a feeling of like, I'm not sure that my song, that, that, that the song I gave them is as good as I would hope to give them. I didn't think that before I saw the movie. I, I then went on tour, like it was like a Japan, Japan and Australia. And then we came back to Hawaii before we were heading off to further touring. I only say this to illustrate this point. Um, I was, we had two days off, which seemed like weeks. Yeah, at that point, we were so busy all the time. So we had two days off in, in Hawaii. And on the second day, I wrote Vindicated. And I, I remember th- feeling this real certainty that that was the song I should have sent her mm-hmm. but it but the book was all locked up you know what i mean it was the record was was in the can mm-hmm. and they were they were done the next day i showed it to my bandmates and we recorded a demo of it on stage and i decided i was going to send it to her just I, I better try it was better to try a hail a hail a fourth quarter hail mary now i certainly didn't think that that was me, me that this was giving us a single or anything like that i didn't think it was a single worthy song that's not why i gave it to him i just thought it was a better song for what yeah, yeah, yeah. what was what this movie after felt like after to see, me. after see, after seeing the movie you you felt differently and this this yeah. kind of came to you yeah yeah and I really like the song I'd written which has never been released actually oh how long gone exclusive if you want to just let us know you know yeah we, you know we have I'll we have worldwide dist- we, we have we have worldwide <laughs> distribution we do have worldwide distribution we offer competitive deals so just let us it's, know yeah, just I'll email you know. me email me the eighth after we're done recording things okay. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Anyway, so, so she said she 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 was she listened to the song and she kind of like whatever whatever that song has she got it right away, and um, I remember her being like, "Just give me half a day," and you know by that you know late that late that night she's like, "I I I finally got everybody to listen to it, and it's we're going to be able to put it on the the that CD and the record instead of the song you submitted." So that's a go. Uh, but everybody thinks it's the single, so you're the single now. Mm, and I was shit. like, she's like, so you have to get here to record it tomorrow at the latest. And I was like, slack jawed. We moved our flights <laughs> up and everything, and uh, to leave like that night after the show. You're I like, oh, Hawaii's really nice right now. Is it? Can we push <laughs> yep. at all? I think Jack Johnson has a studio here. I'm sure we yeah. could use it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a testament to like following your instincts, you know. You know, you can always ask. You can always ask. Yeah. You know, I, I, that song was getting written one way or another. I didn't, but once I wrote it, I, I was like, this, I've, I should ask Leah about this. I should just go for it. And I've never, I've not, I'm not saying I'm unilaterally as brazen as that. I probably am more conservative with the things I take risks on than I, than I ought to be, maybe. Sometimes when you know, you know. Sometimes when you know, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That spidey sense tingles, doesn't it? <laughs> Nicely done. Well played. <laughs> do not, do not congratulate him on that stupidity. Um, <laughs> I we also we also need to get into the look because I, I think that that we would be remiss to not talk about the iconic sideburns. 
Those are sick, pretty sick burns. <laughs> yeah, yes, the sick burns. Now that that was something that that would would it made its rounds a little bit in the in the hardcore world. But I feel like you took it to a global stage. Mm-hmm. And do you do you feel ownership over that, or do you feel like that's something you'd like to leave in the past? Neither. Do you owe any royalties <laughs> to the band Cave In for what you did? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of questions in the air. Yeah, we we, we need to get to the bottom of this right now. <laughs> um you know everybody i knew had those sideburns i didn't think i was like doing this wild deal because you just mentioned like our whole scene every dude had sideburns we had those sideburns we had a very very small t-shirt with paul frank's monkey on it Mm -hmm. how much paul frank were you rocking so much (laughs) you were rocking you were so you were rocking hella paul frank with the girls jeans oh yeah Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basic. See, my my problem was I was too big. There's a bear shit in the woods. I was too big for all that stuff. You know, not not just overweight, but just as a as a per. I was I'm too tall. Jason's six nine, so he could never wear that kind of stuff. But you really had the perfect body type for that look. Yeah, like you know, I have a wayfish kind of build. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the but I think the sideburns. How long now? The sideburns made it pretty far in length of sideburn or length of time. <laughs> Uh, both, both actually. It looked to be grazing the the defined jaw. Just answer the question. Yeah, yeah. Don't. This is we're interrogating you. Okay, you don't get to ask questions. Oh, sorry. You're right. You're right. My bad. You know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Don't play games with me. <laughs> yeah. So, so they were both grazing the the chiseled jawline, but also I feel like they made it through a couple album cycles. Or am, am I wrong? Yeah, you're right. They were both they were both chiseled and and long lasting. <laughs> long lasting. And what's going so what's going on now with the hair story? I feel like there's a lot more hair now because the pompadour, another another iconic hardcore cut. That was what you paired with the sideburns, which I think is is kind of a that's an iconoclast of look, really. Oh yeah, that's a ba- that's that's a go to. Yeah, Chris, let's Did go you- ahead and get you out of that beanie now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can lose the are shirt. You, we can lose the shirt while we're at it. Now you're you're married. You're you're married, right? Yeah. So did your did you know your wife when you had that look, and now you've gone on to have a different? What like? How does she feel about that? I don't imagine she gives it one shit. <laughs> Is your wife pleased with your overall physical appearance? <laughs> mm. <laughs> she can take yeah. it or leave it. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's got to settle eventually. <laughs> <laughs> nothing true yeah well it's, it's very true it's very true but now this this home studio you have is this something you're using have you been hitting it hard during the, the quarantine and like really laying down some some tracks or have you been watching the crown so i was uh i was hitting it hard before we left for our 20 year um so there's a lot of music recorded or completed or 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 nearly yeah. completed um then i was in i was in a pretty bad accident at the beginning of quarantine in june shit are you good uh one day i'll be good again i've probably got another six months or so um i was in a motorcycle accident i broke both shoulders and i severed the oh. muscles in my biceps and deltoids on both sides oh and my um god i've never so, heard of, i've never heard of that kind of injury to be honest with you Yes, it's pretty bad. So anyway, I've been, um, most of the time I've been spending in this studio has been like just relearning how to play guitar. 
uh, which has been wait, a wait, big... wait, 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 wait. Wow. So it's a full, it's a full on like you have to relearn how to play guitar because of the muscle issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really loving the fact that I can play guitar now and just mm-hmm. loving the act of playing guitar. I'm sure it's a. I'm sure it's kind of like a, yeah, falling in love all over again. It really is. Um, it's, you know, when you, when you've got such a relationship with something like that and it's gone, it's, it can really fuck you up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Absolutely. when it, it, there wasn't a, there was a period where I wasn't sure to what degree of skill I'd be able to gain back playing guitar, but I knew that I'd be able to play guitar Yeah, and I was ready to accept whatever level came my way just cause I love it so much. And, um, I mean, that's, you can't live without it, you know? Yeah. What, what it, I guess it's, it's, it, I don't fully understand. So, so is it like, does it come back to you slowly when you're holding it? Or is it something where you're like literally taking lessons or watching YouTube videos? I've been taking lessons. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. I never took lessons ever before. I mean, I took a couple here and there, but I didn't, sure. I didn't take lessons. Yeah. I, w- I would have just assumed you like your, your, your body just can't do what your brain is telling it to yet. And all you have to do is rehabilitate the muscles, but it was beyond that. I think it was beyond that because the muscles were severed and redraped in a different direct, you know, slightly different direction. Oh, wow. So there was Ooh. like, Oh, I'll tell you this. So like, um, you know, Fred Mascherino, uh, from the color Fred, he was in Taking Back Sunday. So, you know, he reached out when I was in the hospital. Anything I can do, um, we want to do. We want to help out, you know. And and you know, he lives in Pennsylvania. I live in in Tennessee. So there's wasn't so much he was able to do. And he kept checking in on me, though. Of course, you know, as my friends all did. Um, and he and he said, uh, you know, he was asking about how the music's going, and I wasn't able to play yet. And he kept asking, you know, as time went by, as weeks went by, any music yet? No, I can't play. And he called me, he's like, hey, you want to take guitar lessons? And I said, Fred, I can't, like, I, I literally can't play. He's like, well, try to play today. Give me a shot tomorrow. And so I called him back the next day, and I was, he was like, so how long were you able to play for? And I think it was three minutes. Mm-hmm. And my, my strumming hand, it wasn't my, it wasn't, I was having the, the muscle memory problems. But my, the main problem was that my strumming arm, just holding it, sitting down and everything, but just holding it at an angle, the muscle would burn out within three minutes. I couldn't bend my own arm with no weight in it. I just couldn't bend my own arm um, like a bicep curl. I couldn't even do that. The weight of a guitar pick. Was the weight of a guitar out. pick was, would, would burn out the muscle in three minutes. And so Fred being awesome was like, all right, because Fred is among, uh, in addition to being an awesome musician that everybody loves and this great writer, he also went to... Um, he went to uh, Berkeley School of Music. Mm. So he's like an insanely talented and learned musician. Mm-hmm. He's a great teacher too. So he said, you got three, okay, so three minutes, so I'll give you a three minute lesson. You know, a lesson that you can practice in three minutes. And that's kind of how it started. And we worked back and, and then it spread from uh, working with Fred to working with about five teachers now. And it's almost like I'm going to Berkeley now. It's a pretty fun time <laughs> in my life. I'm really enjoying it. No, I mean that's that's a beautiful story. I mean, I think that that is um that is kind of uh I think the resilience and also the mental fortitude it takes to kind of, you know, get over that hump and not just feel defeated. That that's very difficult for most people. So, kudos to you. We all get our ration of shit, don't we? 
<laughs> yes, most of the reckoning comes to all. <laughs> yes, I mean I say I say this to Jason a lot, but my my mine is usually self-imposed. You know what I mean? So this is a little this is a little bit different. This is truly you do an it to yourself. You do uh, exactly, exactly, exactly. But <laughs> to I quote, mean to quote Big Tom, but also you know it was his decision to get on that on that hog. You know, yeah. good point. Well, now how do you? Now do you, he's like, bitch. It was a, it was a triumph, loser. <laughs> is it, is it, what, what's your relationship with motorcycles now? Um, I don't imagine I'll ride again. But yeah. you know, I did before. I, I you know I had a few. I'm sure your wife has a different uh, or has a similar opinion on your future with motorcycles. Yeah, I don't want to put her through that again. Yeah, but I also like um, I'm selling my bikes that I had, so I sold the one already. And when I pulled it out of the garage, when the buyer was coming to pick it up, I like started it up and I decided I was going to ride it down like half the block and back. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Just so that I could get over this yeah. feeling. You know, I didn't want to get caught up in that feeling like, and I never rode again. <laughs> so I did. I rode again one time. That's, that's, maybe that's going to be fine. Or maybe I'll ride again. I don't know. But I just, yeah. I don't, can't imagine. I mean, that's a, it's one thing if I was just, you know, if it was just me, but there's, there's people that count on me. Yeah. There's even my yeah. bandmates that count on me. There's, you know, of course my family counts on me and, and, you know, like I, I don't want to lose this. This is more important to me than anything else. And millions of people all over the world that count on you. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. I, I guess, think. you know, I, I don't want to throw that out either. I throw that out. Not to be cheesy, but you know, I, I do. I, I actually don't, I don't want to make light of that. Like I, I actually do think that there's like, I have a long, like, lasting tacit agreement with these folks that listen to my music that, like, mm-hmm. I'm serious about it and I'm not, I'm not phoning it in. And mm-hmm. I want to care about it as much as they've shown me they care about it. Man. Well, that's the, that's the through line through this entire episode is you're, you're a very responsible person. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I mean, I, no, truly. I mean, I think that, that there's, this, there's this kind of uh, understanding in the world that musicians are these kind of like, you know, irresponsible i don't give a fuck you know that like i'm gonna throw a tv out the window i do coke every day that's kind of what it what it was built up at least for me you know that's who i looked up to you know what i mean um but i think it's nice to illustrate that there is another way that you can be an artist but also be responsible and understand your position and and what that means to yourself and other people you know not everyone's able to do that it was interesting though the the community of players they kind of circled the wagons too when I was in that accident. You know, I was thinking about the audience being so supportive, but also these people, there were people that I don't even know, like um, Richard Fortas, who's one of the guitar players in Guns N' Roses now, reached out to me with like some real good, like sage advice and encouragement about the, 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 the road on rehab, on physical therapy, because he'd been in a similar accident and had similar injuries and that was a that was a huge kindness, you know, for him to reach out and be like, "Look, I've been here exactly, and this is this is what you kind of need to expect and be ready for." Oh yeah, I mean that's that's incredible. I mean I'm sure that especially at the time that hit pretty hard in a good way. Yeah, I should I should I don't know if I mentioned this, but I don't know him at all. You know, it's not it's yeah. Not, he just he got he, he like he got your email address from the ma- your manager or something yeah. kind of situation. Yep. And he knows that you know if this happens to somebody else in the future, you're the type of person who would do the exact same thing. Yeah, I absolutely would. So what is the timeline for you right now? Like, are you, are you physically, you feel pretty good and now it's just about this guitar stuff and rehab or, or is it still like a touch and go situation? I mean, it's all a process. Um, probably I'm probably, I think I'm about halfway through on both things. Um, but I've come uh, just this, 
last month has been a, the last four weeks has been a big leap for me in terms of uh, um, range of motion and strength and things coming back in that regard. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Congratulations, that. yeah, Chris. We're 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 happy that you're okay and uh, that you were able to join us. You know, uh, we'll look for new music in the future, and I'm sure you'll be very excited to hit the road when the time comes. Oh, I can't wait, man. I'll be ready before the, the touring comes back. I'll make sure of it. <laughs> good, good, good. That's what we would expect. Um, <laughs> and people can obviously stream all your music wherever music is, is streamable, and they can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. It's at Dashboard Confessional, correct? Yes. Any, any, uh, you want to make any final shout outs, any plugs before we go? I'm good. <laughs> Not, not even the big, not even the big man upstairs. Come on, Chris. <laughs> yeah, we're cool. We're cool. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate yeah, you. I appreciate being with you guys. We'll Thanks, talk to you Chris. soon. Thanks, Chris.